Hello, everyone, and welcome to another well-played podcast, a podcast all about playful learning. Together, we explore games, game mechanics, and the power of learning through play. With me, I have Ivan Kultman, and his Twitter handle is at wisedad underscore games. And Ivan and I today are going to dive into the digital game-based learning space. Uh, but before we do, let's introduce ourselves. Ivan? All right. Hell yeah. I'm uh, Ivan Kaltman. Uh, I was a Teach for America fourth grade teacher. That's how I started out my career in education. And uh, after that, I, I became a school-based occupational therapist, and I've been working in a K-5 educational school ever since then, uh, over 20 years. And uh, I actually recently became a, a video game developer when I couldn't find a fun reading computer game for my own daughter when she was reading at a third grade level. And that sort of launched my whole foray into digital game-based learning and Twitter and gamification. And really everything stemmed from, from that point. That's an awesome story. We'll get more into that. Uh, everybody, I'm so glad to have Ivan on here. He's got a really unique take and wonderful experience. So... Can't wait to dive into this episode. I'm Michael Matera, uh, author of Explore Like a Pirate and sort of a gamification Sherpa. Love to like do all the heavy lifting for you, figure things out, and share them out on things like this podcast. Also, if you could check out my YouTube channel, uh, you can get links to that as well on explorelikeapirate.com. All right, without further ado, Ivan, uh, we're talking digital digital games today and and bringing those into the classroom uh let's start off with probably the the strongest question people get in this space why mm. well the, the the key is engagement right off the bat and uh, digital game based learning is probably the only instructional methodology that actually has the word engagement and its actual definition and digital game based learning uses uh, educational content and learning principles in video games to engage learners. And that's that's it right there. I mean, you know, kids today, they're all gamers. They're all, um, they're all familiar with this platform. They all identify with it. They all feel successful in it and that they can win at it. That's the thing is when, when a kid's playing a, a video game, they know that they can win. Uh, when kids are at school, uh, some of them aren't so sure. Uh, when they're getting Cs and Ds and Fs, they're starting to learn that maybe they can't win. And that's a really bad lesson that, you know, these, these kids, unfortunately, at very early ages are, are starting to learn. That's an uh, interesting sort of approach to the question, this, this idea of like a gamer mindset. Um, a friend of mine, Carrie, who's been on the show a few times, she, she's starting to think about that too. Like what's, what's a gamer mindset that we could talk to the students about? Because you're right, they, they approach these highly complex video games and they they approach them with an open mind and they're okay to struggle they're okay to have some resiliency when they fail throughout those games um they don't just pop that 50 dollar video game in die in the first scene and say well that was a waste of 50 bucks yeah they, they want to try again they're motivated they want to here's they want to get to the next level they want to see what's next there's this curiosity there's this motivation a good game uh reels you in and a good game also balances off the the learning curve uh with uh with the anxiety and the frustration level so that you're not rage quitting. <laughs> if the game is too hard, no one's going to want to play it. If it's too easy, it's too boring. 
a good game is right there in the middle. It puts kids in, in a flow zone where they're able to can increase their skills as the game goes on and master more more areas. Yeah, that flow is that's just the money zone to be in. Whether you're a game designer and and, and or teacher, which we might not have been taught that, but like that is the sweet spot to be in. Um, so you you talked. I mean. I'm, no one can see me on this radio here, but, uh, but I'm doing the bunny quotes here. He, you said a good game mm-hmm. and <laughs> we've all, well, maybe not all of us, but <laughs> lots of us grew up playing some terrible educational games. Terrible. <laughs> they were, yeah. They, <laughs> So yeah. what, what, in your opinion, especially as somebody that has gone through the process of designing a game with children in mind and, and educational outcomes, what makes a good game? Yeah, well, the problem there with those educational games is that they weren't designed by game designers. So the same people who are giving you the boring worksheets were putting together these sort of educational games, which are referred to disparagingly as chocolate-covered broccoli. Because the, the kids don't like them. They're not fun. They're not actually even real games. They're just sort of like disguised worksheets with some graphics and some sounds. So they're not engaging. They're not motivating to play. When the kids, uh, they don't really care what happens next because it's not fun. They're, they're not into them. So that's why that whole sort of educational game area was a sort of a black hole for a couple of decades. And later, uh, later on, um, a lot of people started, you know, some big foundations like the Gates Foundation started pouring some money and said, look, let's get the let's let's rework these games, these digital games. Let's make them into true games. And uh, a lot of digital game based learning uh, now incorporates uh, game developers uh, as well as instructional designers working together. And now you're getting a product that is a real game so that it will be engaging to students. But, and, but it's still delivering the educational content that's needed in curriculum. And this is uh, probably best known as uh, for iCivics um, in middle school. Uh, I think that's probably the most widely used um, type of digital game-based learning. And then I think uh, Brain Pop's another big one. Well, Brain Pop, um, if you look at if have you tried any of the games on Brain Pop, Michael? <laughs> <laughs> I haven't. Because well, it's a, whole other, it's a whole other show. But I've uh, I've I've gone through some of them myself, and uh, some of them actually are like links to like iCivic games. So there 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 are some good ones on there, but there's also some some bombs and stinkers that you know you want it. I play test everything myself before I, I let a student go near it, and if that, it doesn't, and that is really good advice. I mean, take the time, teachers. Don't just like grab like, hey, somebody gave me this website, you know play through it for a little bit yeah and um but brain pop no you know brain pop does have some good digital games on them but you gotta kind of have to find them well i think the brain pop's kind of a double-edged sword right they they have some lacking of quality but they have they're they're kind of a clearinghouse for some of like the, the largest amount of educational games kind of in one spot brain pop is everywhere they're almost as ubiquitous as as a, a workbook they're in every school and it puts them in a in a really good position and i i should say something you know the encouraging thing is i do know i believe they have jessica millstone there now and i do know that they are 
that's at least some people in BrainPop are looking at getting true digital games uh, into their platform. So I'm looking forward and very hopeful, actually, that they really are going to be releasing some good products in the future. Yeah, so, I mean, you really, I think, answered the question really well, and I mean, I'd have to say I totally agree that some of the things that were lacking in the educational game space was actual game mechanics. <laughs> Uh, exactly. you know, just, just these core principles exactly. of gamification and game design that really, you know, game designers know are an integral part to moving the story along and, and having a story and having a purpose and um, really like the only purpose of number munchers was just to get more more multiplication thrown at you. That was the only, <laughs> like there was no like, hey, I made it to level two and can do something different. It was just more multiplication. Exactly. And the students, you can't, you don't, you can't fool a kid. They know what's boring and what's not. And you put a boring game next to them and they're going to, you know, time out on it and they'll, they'll be just as inattentive with it as, as a worksheet. In. All right. So given the fact that there is sort of a, a lull or a lack of games specifically designed, or, I mean, they're coming to fruition here. I don't, I guess I don't want to totally berate the system, but uh, do you have any examples of full production games that weren't necessarily intended for the classroom that you or I have used and used successfully? Well, on a wide scale level, I'd have to say no, because if you think about it, Minecraft is, is you know, Minecraft is the most really popular game that they're trying to use in the classrooms today, a Minecraft EDU. And even them, with all the money they have and all the resources they have, are having a difficult time. Uh, and no, that's not to say that there are a lot of early adapters. There are a lot of great educators using this and doing a lot of great things with it. But when I say a lot, but percentage-wise, there's very few in terms of, you know, throughout the amount of schools and classrooms that we have. So when you have something as big and with all the huge resources of Minecraft behind it, and you still have such little penetration, it does make you, you know, think that we're really not at that level yet where we're going to be seeing widespread use of, of these kind of games. Um, I think, again, it's going to be up to, at this point, it's the individual schools and the individual teachers who are bringing it into their classroom or their grade level or even their entire building. Yeah, uh, I mean, you make a really good point. <laughs> I mean, it's a rather sad one, but a good one that... You know, because you go anywhere and you hear about Minecraft and education and you, you see it at the conferences and the huge booth at ISTE. I mean, it's owned by Microsoft now. I mean, yeah. it's, it's got unlimited resources. Um, but you're right. Like, if we truly walked into any school in America on any given moment, I doubt you're going to walk by a classroom yeah. that's using it. Yeah, exactly. And we can all point to, like, well, we know this guy and we know this guy. But, like, that's two guys. Like, we're talking, <laughs> we're talking about every school in America. Right. Or every school yeah. in the world, you know, like however we want to view it. Um, but uh, I'll say for me, I sort of agree that there wasn't a whole lot out there uh, for educational games. I have toyed with playing with some non, maybe I shouldn't say non, I've toyed with playing full production video games that were just for the general marketplace and trying to attach them to some history lessons. So ones that I've found some fairly decent success with was there's a online version that's free called free civ and it's based on civilization and um 
it's it's fairly decent. The only downside to a game like that is Civilization is huge in terms of the amount of time. Right. Well, Civilization, I believe, is coming out with an EDU version, and that's going to be going to be big because Civilization again is one of those commercial games which I'm a huge fan. I've played three, four, five, and I'm waiting for six. Uh, it's it's a really well designed game, and there's a lot of learning. Um, possibilities that are put into that. But one thing that I think people have found is if you, you put a video game and put a digital game in the classroom with a teacher who's not a gamer and, and you don't give the resources, you're going to fail immediately. So teachers are used to a certain format and a certain methodology of lesson plans, and, and, and they really need those resources to help them succeed, to integrate these digital games um, into their in, into their daily and, and weekly schedules, and that's what I think. You know, Minecraft EDU and with the Civ EDU, that's what what these guys are starting to do. I, yeah, I mean, I think one of the ways that we can sort of augment our classrooms to be to allow digital games in and, and leverage their strength and power is also how, in the last I'd say ten years in the game industry, online gaming has just went through the roof um and a a way that like a lot of teachers or a term a lot of teachers understand is the flip classroom i think for me the way that like civ worked really well or i have used minecraft in my class is to flip it it's to not actually necessarily do it within my class or set it up right use a day so that they all get it and they're all familiarized with it but then start putting a lot of those goals and those outcomes outside the class and then discussing them in class or or bringing in the final product in class right and i think there is a lot of potential in that because you have now um so many students are doing well in the middle school level they're, they're doing their homeworks and assignments already uh online um through a laptop or a computer so i think that that potential is is really now there whereas we had districts would 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 hesitate to do that because we'd still have some kids maybe who didn't have access but now i think it's finally crossed that that boundary and yeah, now we're just limited really to our imaginations in terms of what we can assign in terms of a foot classroom. So uh, I definitely agree. Yeah, I mean, I think you got to know your class. Like, so for me, we've been one-to-one school for, I don't know, last three years, four years. Um, so yeah, like those were shifts that I made once it was, the potential was there to assign that kind of stuff. So, I mean, clearly you, you got to know your market, but if you have Did- that ability... It, it's a way to bring in those games. That is a way. And the other thing digital games can do, there's a lot of collaboration involved, which makes it really ideal to set up, you know, a lot of the, even the one-to-one schools, um, there's a certain um, benefit clearly with regards to 21st century learning when you're able to collaborate and work together in groups of two and four. And digital games definitely allow that to happen. Yeah. I mean, another thing, too, if if we're talking about digital games now from a more limited resource angle, um, you know, let's not forget some of our regular teacher tips, you know, like where we would work in centers and have people rotate, uh, do something as a whole class. Like I'm thinking my own sieve. I don't run it this way, but just just talking to you, I could have like a sieve per class period and each class period just kind of collectively makes decisions for the civilization. And then at the end of the quarter, we see which civilization scored the best. Yeah. Your center is actually brought up. Yeah, absolutely. And especially for math. And there's a game, um, uh, it's called dragon box numbers. 
and I've been using it um, for a while. It's a, a great game. It's never ceased to, to interest and engage a student. And it actually won the games for change, uh, learning some of the, it's the game of the year now. So it should be getting some more traction, but it, there's, it should be in every school, this for sure. Um, it's a touch app, so it could be on an iPad or a touch screen laptop or monitor. And it teaches number sense. And when you have kids in third grade using their fingers to count, they don't understand what six plus seven is because they don't really understand what six is or even seven. They, they, they don't know the, the abstract numbers, uh, what their meaning is. And what Dragonbox does is it allows students to develop number sense. And it allows them to manipulate these numbers in ways, you know, with their own fingers. They're called nooms. So each, uh, each number has a, uh, is represented by a different noom. You should definitely check this out when you have some time. And for first grade, even kindergarten, uh, and definitely special ed for, for maybe second, third grade or so, they should really have this in a center. And it's, it's quite inexpensive. Uh, I believe it's about six, $6 for four. So you can have four students playing for $6. And this, you don't have to renew um, their license every year like you do with, with some other digital games. So you have them for life. I definitely looked it up here online. It looks really awesome. I'll definitely put it in the show notes for everybody. Uh, that's a great one. Yeah. Um, have you used uh, Prodigy, uh, which is a uh, math game? Yeah. Prodigy, uh, I have seen students really use it, and they, they like the battles. They like the battling. Uh, and they sort of it uses a, a, a role play, sort of a similar a, a role-playing game mechanism of battles. Um, and in the battles, they're actually doing math, which is kind of like a no-no shortcut cheating with a, a true game because it, it's sort of tricking them in a way, if you think about the philosophy of it. Um, but when kids have, uh, I've seen kids, um, students having free time on, on their computers in their classroom going to Prodigy. So they definitely like the fact that you have all these different, all these different characters and there are some true game elements in there that are engaging to the students. So Prodigy is a good one. So it's, it doesn't have the purest. So it's not it's not chocolate covered broccoli. It's oh. more like it's more like marshmallow covered sweet potato. <laughs> um, you know, I don't know if Prodigy works to be honest with you. I don't know if they're actually learning through it. Whereas we know Dragon Box works, as there is a lot of research behind it. But I would I'm now I'm curious to look up if Prodigy has any support for it. But it's certainly, you know, better than a, you know, a worksheet if they have some free time. Yeah, and it does have, as far as games go, it does have game elements. There are it like does. decisions you get to make in between the battles. Should I go visit this place? Should I collect this? I want to try to buy this tool. Um, yeah, it does the job better than most that I've seen in that space. But then you are right. I mean, in between all those stops, it is another number muncher. I mean, <laughs> yeah. it, it's just yeah. like here, answer these so, seven problems. So they're engaged, but are they actually learning math or are they just sort of getting through that math? And uh, I mean, I don't know. That's, that's a good question. Uh, I, I feel like I've, se I've only seen it played, I'll be honest, with some sixth graders because that's what I teach. And uh, after we showed it to the sixth grade, I did download it a little bit for my daughter. And she's seven or six, almost seven, seven mm -hmm. in a week. Right. And she... Uh, I think it, I don't know if it teaches, it definitely doesn't teach number sense. I'll, t I'll just come out and say that, but it, it is a lot of practice. So as far as like computation, as far as being able to like see those and understand, Hey, I have now practiced 
20 addition problem. She gets that addition is going up and subtraction is going down. It's a little extra practice. But does she know her math facts yet for addition? Uh, your daughter? Uh, <laughs> kind of put me on the spot there. <laughs> I hope Mila's not listening. <laughs> Don't listen. Now we got we got an experiment right here. You're going to get dragon box numbers for her, and she will love it, and she's going to learn math. <laughs> All right. I will I will download it. Uh, she... <laughs> She's coming to my house tomorrow, so we'll uh, we'll do it then. I, I I actually got it. My daughter was a little too old for it when when I learned about it, but I did get it for uh, my niece who is in kindergarten. Loved it and was really able to you know combine those numbers and move them around in her head afterwards, like uh, four plus six. And I mean, clearly it was working for her just as an on the cuff observation from you know an educator and a gamer seeing it in action. Awesome. Uh, so we have there some good math suggestions. Does uh, Do you have any other suggestions or things you've used? I mean, I, like I said, I talked about free civ. There's another one called free Cal. You could look at that as well in the history space. But And iCivics is great for history. But we have other subjects out there, science and, and uh, language arts. Yeah, unfortunately, again, there's, there's, you know, for language arts, uh, you know, there's been so much emphasis on STEM at all levels of society. It's almost like we've forgotten that there's a crisis in literacy in this country where you have so many students in um, lower income communities, uh, disadvantaged students, students with learning disabilities. You still have a huge segment of the population reading below grade level and eventually um, dropping out of school. Um, not graduating, not going to college, because first and foremost, they they don't read well. And when you don't read well and you're at school, that's a really bad combination because that's what you have to do. And think about if there was something you were really bad at and if you, you did it and embarrassed you and then you had to do it every day in front of your peers, uh, it's not a surprise why you have students acting out and, and doing everything they can to avoid doing something that they are – deficient in it and they they know they know that they are deficient in it and you know i'm talking about you know even as as young as third grade that's when we really see it um happening and uh, i'm a little you know myself again um i'm a little sort of disappointed that there's not more digital game-based learning resources going toward literacy in younger grades and that's something that I'm trying to speak to myself and, um, and I'm presenting on it. And hopefully, you know, I find other people who are interested in it. I, I, I've looked and I haven't found too many, to be honest. Well, let's talk about your game because that was really that that was the genesis of your game, right? That, that, yes. that space was empty and you're like, I need to fill it. And it was really motivated out of the, the, the gap for your daughter that there was nothing... For her to continue right, because when I was in when I was in Teach for America <clears throat> and I was working with with disadvantaged students in rural Louisiana, the first thing I did was get a big comic book section in, in my in my library for for the kids. And what I would notice is every day, all my kids, even the ones who who were were not good readers, had a comic book on their desk. And you know, kids want to understand the text; they want to, but some of them just can't. Because they're they're not uh, reading at that level yet. They need the illustrations. They need the pictures. They they need other supports to understand and comprehend the text. And now you take in um, a, you have a digital game format, 
you have so many extra supports for students to understand the text in there. You have not only do you see pictures, but you have images, you have actions, you have music, you have sound effects, and you have the most important element of all, which is interaction, which now you have the student is in control of their avatars, their personal characters in their own world. And now you have what's what James G calls identity commitment. Now you're committed to being in that world and being an explorer there. And you want to explore it, you want to learn it, and you're going to read what you need to read because the reading in, in the game are clues to what you need to do to advance in the game, quests and, and so forth. That's just like any role-playing game. That's awesome. Uh, this, this with the, with sort of the ability to build a sort of multi-layered sensory experience is, I think, what truly can kind of unlock students' potential through these sort of games because they're they're built for these multi-sensory. Exactly right. And there's even research that shows that there are parts of the brain that you only use when you're moving and in movement that are um, lit up in the brain when you're playing these games. When they're moving your little your, your virtual characters around, you're using the same parts of your brain that you're actually using with some of them when you're using your own body to move around. Wow, that's fascinating. This like this connection to this sort of player on the screen is also activating the same parts of the brain. And, and the students say, like when they're playing, you know, um, and I have a video uh, for part of my presentation when a, a new character joins the party and, and someone in the class says, look who joined us. So look who joined us, not look who joined them, because the characters, the, the students themselves really see themselves in the game as these characters. They really identify as these actual characters in the game. And what happens to them in the game, they feel it themselves. They feel the emotional responses. And just like, you know, we do when we play good video games. And that meaningful emotional response is what we know is, is imperative for learning. Because without a, a meaning, without a meaningful um, emotional response, learning doesn't occur. That's been shown time and time again. You know, some students, you know, they can learn if it's important to them to learn, regardless of if they're interested in it or not. But other students, if they're not interested and they're not invested in it, they need to get some kind of meaning and, and a connection out of it. Yeah, and for all of you out there that's not a gamer, uh, what we're talking about here would, would be similar to sort of that connection you get to a really good book. And when like, that when it wraps up, you're a little like, oh man, like I'm sad. Or when a movie ends and you're like, it was a great place for the movie to end. But at the same point, you're like, I want to know what happens. Like what happens to those characters afterwards? It, it, it is an us. It's an escapism. You're there. And it's like you say, it's a book. It could be a book or a movie for students who are good enough readers that they can really get into another world with a book. But if they're not at that reading level yet, a book to them doesn't open up a world to them. It's confusing. Like imagine if you were reading a book and, you know, a bunch of the words were missing, like a lot of them. Or if you're watching a movie and some of the, the parts are, are, are cut off or muted. And that's what that's what the experience is like for these for these students. So uh, before we we do have to move on to reflection time here, we're almost out of time. Uh, but I did want you to be able to plug your 
game that you designed because it's out on Steam. So yeah. uh, let's 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 hear it. All right. Well, sure. Well, look, Sydney's World is uh, it's free for schools and educators, and it's always been and it always will be. And um, you know, I'm a Teach for America teacher, and educational equity and excellence is what I've always been about. And I felt, you know, for, before I even took this to the educational world, I had to prove to myself and to the world that it was a true game. And so that's why I released it in Steam, which is the largest you know, gaming community in the world for video games. Um, and for it to be accepted there as a true game, um, which people do pay for. I mean, Steam is a commercial site. It is commercially distributed. Um, but I feel, uh, you know, um, for educational use, for student use, um, there should never be a, a cost associated with that. That's why it's free for schools and educators. And and some a lot of people don't necessarily agree with me. And, and I don't, you know, I don't begrudge anyone in the space, you know, trying to make money in that space uh, because certainly there's a lot of money in that space uh, that are being spent on textbooks and, and worksheets. And and why not, you know, spend them on digital games? Uh, but just for me personally, um, you know, it's uh, price is not something that should be considered. So. Um, it's right there. It's uh, available um, to take a look at. I'll, I'll, those of you in New Jersey, I'm presenting at NJEA 17 on it next month. Uh, there's a website, sydneysworld1.com. Check it out. And I'll link and that uh, in the show notes as well. So those yeah. of you listening, like, just look down below and you, you can get that link. It's, it's the same thing as just using a, a novel. It's used in place of a novel in your classroom. It's not meant to, to replace you know, instruction or you, it's just a, it's another tool. That's awesome. Thanks for giving us that take. Uh, now here we are at reflection time. We're getting a quote today by John Paul Dyson, who is the director of the international center for the history of electronic games. So this is just fitting for today's topic. And his quote is video games, open worlds. So how does that, how does that strike you? Well, video games, open worlds for everybody, because when you are, everybody has the same experience um, hearing and, and seeing the music, the soundtrack, the video, and you are definitely transported to another place. I mean, I could say from my own personal experience and from when kids play, it is truly another world. Um, and a book, again, like we were saying, you know, a book is another world too, but not everyone could, could get transported there if their reading isn't, you know, proficient at that level yet. So I think the, the, the difference is a video game is, is, is new world and open world for everyone equally. Yeah. For me, that quote, uh, strikes me on just such a nice level of, of possibilities, right? That like video games allow us to go places that don't exist to go to places that we can't go to only places we could imagine. Um, it's just, it's a kind of endless possibilities. And as explorers and we're all explorers, it gives us a new world. It gives us new worlds to explore. That's what I, I think I love so much about video games. Yeah, me too. Me too. Games in general for me, I, uh, I love board games, card games, video games, you name it. Um, and really like there are just, our minds are these mental sponges that just want to soak up data and information that's in front of us. And a game is just a wonderful, rich environment. There are worlds, as 
John Paul Dyson says, right? And this opens it up for us, these games. Well, uh, I do have to say thanks for joining us today on Well Played, Ivan. Thank you, Michael. It was, it was nice having you on. This was a great topic. Uh, it's truly a pleasure. And for the rest of you guys out there, don't forget to check out explorelikeapirate.com. There's all sorts of things on there. Links the, to my new YouTube channel, which I would love to get you guys to subscribe there. There's lots of good things going up every week. I'm putting up new content there. So check that out if you want uh, some educational topics as well as more gamification. And as always, thanks for listening. It is an honor having you guys listen, learn, and play with us. So enjoy your week.